0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Texas. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. When it came to 29-year-old Taylor Pomaske, family came first. She was the oldest of five kids, and she was the oldest by a lot. I'm talking 10 years plus. I don't know how many of you have siblings with an age gap like that, but from personal experience, I can tell you that your siblings idolize you, and it was no different with Taylor. Her role as a big sister was something she took a lot of pride in, and even as she aged up and out of the family home, she would still visit regularly for family dinners and game nights. When it came to who Taylor was as a person, her dad told ABC 13 that she was fun-loving and fearless. Every room she walked into was better because she was in it. Into adulthood, Taylor was a very adulty adult. For anyone who doesn't get the reference here, I've been an adult for a solid decade and a half, and I'm still trying to figure it out. But Taylor had it down. She'd already had a handful of pretty impressive jobs, like being a master data specialist for a refining company and even a case manager for a legal services company. In summary, she was doing the damn thing, and she was doing it well. On top of keeping her family and work life balanced like a tightrope, she also managed to stay in shape, look good doing it, was a proud dog mom to her princess Molly, and found herself a really good man. His name was Eric, and just like that, they were in love. For six years, they were in love, but like many good things do, eventually their relationship came to an end, but not on bad terms. Even though the two had parted ways, they proved to anyone who might have doubted it that exes actually can remain friends, and good friends at that. Newly single and on her own, in the spring of 2019, Inside Edition reports that she moved into a new apartment, starting a new chapter of her life. Her parents and siblings were still a constant, along with the visits, the dinners, and the game nights. Everything seemed to be going perfectly, until it wasn't. A year after moving into that new apartment, 2020, the outlet reports that the regular contact with Taylor became less and less frequent. Her mother told Inside Edition that there had been a shift in Taylor's life that she'd become distant and unavailable. Her mom thought she might have been struggling with addiction, but it wasn't anything Taylor ever came out and said. Around that same time, her mother told the outlet that Taylor started dating a new man, former NFL player Kevin Ware Jr., Hearing former NFL player, you might think that he's some kind of sports superstar, but in reality, the dude played for two years on two different teams, and according to sports, Keita made a whopping four receptions, totaling 26 whole yards in his short stint as a tight end. Basically, he sounded a lot cooler than he was. When Taylor and Kevin started dating, they didn't make any huge announcements. It was kept pretty quiet until a few months later when they made it Facebook official. And since we're on the topic of Facebook, I should probably mention that Taylor's posts didn't exactly make their relationship come off as some kind of fairy tale romance. Shortly after posting that they were even in a relationship, she posted a meme of a kid that was ugly crying. The meme said, enjoy it. These are the best years of your life. The response to the meme was, this is the best. Taylor's caption to said meme was, what in the barely mediocre man? Regardless of the post, it looks like the two stayed together, and the following month, Inside Edition reports that Taylor's mother got the chance to talk to Kevin for the first time. Was it in person? Was it on a video call? Absolutely not. It was via text message, you know, like any respectable new boyfriend. The last sentence was a lie. According to the outlet, he texted Taylor's mom that he'd gone to the University of Washington played professional football and couldn't wait to tell her his story. I'm almost at a loss for words to try and describe what in the barely mediocre football player is happening here. But this dude was text introducing himself to his new girlfriend's mom like she gave a single rat's ass about his journey to the D-list. Rest assured, she was more concerned about her daughter, whom she was worried might have been struggling with addiction and who seemed to be distancing herself from her support system ever since she started dating this guy. There was only so much Taylor's mom could do, so she made lunch plans with Taylor and Kevin so, you know, she could meet the man who'd become such a big part of her daughter's life. There was some real potential at that point. She was going to see her daughter and she was going to meet the guy who clearly thought very highly of himself and wanted her to know his story. But no, that's not what happened. When Taylor's mom was getting ready to leave the house to head to the restaurant, she Googled it only to find out that it was closed. Those lunch plans had been made for a date and time that that restaurant wasn't even going to be open for. Confused, she tried calling Taylor, but she didn't answer the phone. The next person in line was Kevin, who did answer. According to the outlet, he apologized to Taylor's mom, saying he was swamped with meetings at work. At the time, she did her best to rationalize the situation. Okay, he's at work. That's a good thing that he works, and figured that maybe he was really swamped with meetings. Hindsight is always 2020, and I think we can all agree that Swamped with Meetings doesn't explain why they scheduled a lunch date for a closed restaurant. Meetings or not, that lunch date was never going to happen. It sounds more like it was more so a way to pacify Taylor's mom until they could make an excuse and then do the bare minimum to try and pacify her again, which is exactly what happened. Between November of 2020 and January of 2021, Taylor's mom told Inside Edition that they made several plans to meet, and every single time, the plans got canceled. Her mom told the outlet that she came to the realization that the only way she was going to see her daughter was through Kevin. And that's when she started doing a little digging. What she found was terrifying. I've seen a lot of different outlets report on the slew of different things Kevin has been charged with over the years, so I ran a report of my own just to double check, and the following is a mixture of both. In 2002, while Kevin was still in college, the San Francisco Chronicle reports that he pled guilty to misdemeanor assault. Just one year later, in 2003, he was charged with a DUI. Two years after that, I found a charge for attempted forgery, and the year after that, a charge or forgery. In 2010, the Houston Chronicle reports that Kevin was charged in two separate incidents, theft after he ran out of a bar without paying his tab, and evading arrest after an assault. The outlet says that he assaulted a valet driver, and when he was taken into custody and put into a patrol car, he forced his way out and ran down the sidewalk still in handcuffs. This dude is 6'3 and over 260 pounds, so just to put that image into perspective for you, a giant of a man was trotting down a sidewalk in handcuffs. I can only assume that that trot had a little shoulder shimmy to it. I wish it ended there, but in February of 2018, the Houston Chronicle reports that he was sentenced to two years in prison for intent to manufacture or deliver a controlled substance. Knowing that Taylor's mom said that Kevin and Taylor started dating in the spring of 2020, it looks like he didn't wind up serving that entire sentence. Going through all of that, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that an extremely concerned mother had stumbled across all of it when looking into the man her daughter was dating. But that's what was going on, and she was mortified. As the rest of her family and friends found out about Kevin's past, they got more and more concerned about the changes they'd noticed in Taylor. All the red flags were there, and it was hard to watch. They weren't exactly sure what to do, so they supported Taylor in the only way they knew how. Above all else, they made sure that she knew they were there to come and get her at the drop of a hat, reminding her when necessary, but without making her feel so judged that she stopped confiding in them. Unfortunately, as loved as Taylor knew she was, the distance between her and her family didn't get any better, and it doesn't look like her relationship with Kevin did either. In April of 2021, she posted a meme on Facebook of Cinderella and Prince Charming. In it, Prince Charming asked what Cinderella did for a living, and Cinderella simply replied, suffer. On the 23rd of April 2021, there was a re-announcement of Taylor and Kevin's relationship on Facebook, seeming to kind of hint towards an on-and-off-again situation. And just two days after that, on April 25th, a screenshot shows that she changed her relationship status again. This time, it said that she was married to Kevin. For the record, they were not married, and the post isn't publicly viewable anymore, but to this day, her Facebook still says that she's married, Kevin just isn't tagged. The same day Facebook announced their marriage that never really was, there was a party held at the home that Kevin and Taylor lived in. When you hear ex-NFL player in-house party, you might think that it was some elaborate rager with champagne and glitter, but that was not it. That party was in a 1,700-square-foot rancher in a quiet old neighborhood surrounded by houses. That party was the last time anyone ever saw Taylor. Pre-Kevin Taylor was the call-and-text-every-day, visit-family-on-the-weekends type of girl. But because she'd become so alienated from her family and friends, when they didn't hear from her for a little while, it didn't ring any immediate alarm bells. That being said, Taylor was still Taylor. Whatever was going on behind closed doors, she was still in there. The core of who she was still existed, and that was a girl who led with her heart, which is why on May 9th, 2021, her parents knew that something wasn't right. Not only was the ninth Mother's Day, but it was also her dad's birthday, and they hadn't heard from Taylor at all. Sure, she didn't keep in touch as much as she used to, but she would never miss either of those opportunities to let her parents know she loved them. It was at that point that ABC 13 reports that Taylor's parents realized it had been about two weeks since they'd heard from her. They gave it until the end of the day, and when she still hadn't reached out, they went down to the Harris County Sheriff's Office to report her missing. And not just that she was missing, but that they believed she was in danger because everything Taylor owned had been left behind, including her dog Molly, who she would have never gone anywhere without. A photo of Taylor was released to the media, and the girl in the picture was a stark contrast to the girl in her Facebook photos. She wasn't smiling, her face was sunken in, and she had dark circles around her eyes. Her mother told Inside Edition that photo haunts me saying that how thin and frail she looked breaks her heart. Her father told ABC 13 it's hard to look at realizing she was in a dark place. After reporting Taylor missing, something just didn't sit right with her mom about her dog Molly still being in that home, the last place her daughter was seen. So she decided to go there and get her. If Taylor wasn't going to be there, Molly didn't need to be either. However, according to Inside Edition, when her mom got to the house, Kevin initially refused to hand over the dog. She said that she wound up having to talk to him for hours before he finally agreed to let them leave with her. Knowing a fraction of what Taylor had been going through, the fact that her mom went straight to that house to get her dog was an undeniable act of straight badassery. But she wasn't the only badass in the bunch. Enter Eric, Taylor's ex-boyfriend. He told the outlet that he confronted Kevin wanting answers as to where Taylor was. According to him, Kevin told him that she'd left the house party with one of his buddies. I find it incredibly hard to believe that Kevin was the kind of guy who'd be just fine with his girlfriend leaving with another man, and it doesn't sound like anyone else was buying it either. Over the next couple of months, deputies worked every angle they could to try and narrow down what exactly happened the night of that party. Meanwhile, Taylor's family and friends exhausted every avenue they could to try and track her down. By June 2nd, Click2Houston reported that Taylor's case was moved from the Missing Persons Division to the Homicide Unit. The most shocking part of that announcement was that her case hadn't just recently been transferred. It had happened just a week or so after she was reported missing. That same day, Texas EquiSearch came into the picture. For anyone who doesn't know what or who Texas EquiSearch is, it was founded by Tim Miller, who is one of the most dedicated humans on the planet. They're the dream team of people you want looking for you, heaven forbid you ever go missing. They're straightforward, have absolutely no quit, and only assist in cases if law enforcement invites them in. They do everything by the book. When ABC 13 interviewed Tim Miller about Taylor's case, He gave some insight that everyone probably assumed, but no one had said out loud yet. He told the outlet, She vanished without any logical reason, and there's a heightened concern for her well being. In an interview with Click2Houston, he said that they believe the circumstances surrounding Taylor's disappearance are suspicious and that they suspect she might be a victim of foul play. The following day, a source told the outlet that Kevin wasn't cooperating with investigators. In the name of fair reporting, I should also note that his attorney told ABC 13 that he'd told the police everything he knew and that he'd let them into his house. To be frank, there was a lot of side-eyeing in Kevin's direction, and with the news that was about to break, it's easy to understand why. Earlier, we went over Kevin's criminal history up to the point of him and Taylor getting together. But back in April, just six days before Taylor was last seen, the Montgomery County police reporter wrote that Kevin had been pulled over going 115 in a 70-mile-per-hour zone. When law enforcement took a look in his car, they found methamphetamine, cocaine, a Xanax pill, and weed. The most disturbing part was that they also found a loaded AK-47 and a loaded 9 mm pistol. Kevin was a flat-out full-blown felon, so regardless of the drug charges, the guns were a hard no for him, and he got a free ride to jail. He was charged with two counts of possession with intent to deliver a controlled substance and unlawfully possessing a firearm as a felon. Unfortunately, for an endless number of reasons, he was given a $23,000 bond, and I suppose he had money like that because the Houston Chronicle reports that he bonded out the next day. Five days after bonding out, they had the house party, a house party where ABC 13 reports a fight broke out between Kevin and Taylor, a fight that Tim Miller told the station got fairly violent from what he understands. He went on to say that he believes the worst has happened and that certainly, in no way, would Taylor's case have a happy ending. It was at that point that everything that had been going on behind closed doors started to come to light. A longtime friend of Taylor's told the outlet that they'd been in contact with her in the weeks leading up to her disappearance and that Taylor was in danger, that there was violence and that she'd referenced a gun being pulled on her. The friend told the station that Taylor was nervous and scared, which adds up because Taylor's ex-boyfriend told Inside Edition that the last time he saw Taylor was on April 4th. He hadn't seen her since February and said that the difference in her appearance in just two months was shocking, saying that she was gaunt and had bruises on her face. He told the outlet that Taylor told him that she'd been hit by Kevin. He says he told her not to go back, but Taylor said that she was, and the following day he dropped her back off. Throughout the remainder of April, Eric told KHOU that Taylor emailed him several times telling him that she needed help. He said they were talking about getting her out of there and, according to Inside Edition, getting her into a rehab, but that never happened. The outlet reports that the last email Eric ever got from Taylor was the morning after that house party on April 26th. At 6.55 a.m., he got an email from Taylor that read, I need to talk to you, and that was it. With April and May having passed and June going by agonizingly slow with no signs of Taylor, her mom told Inside Edition that she couldn't even put the fear she was enduring into words, saying that the not knowing is so scary, wondering if she's scared or if she was scared. Obviously, everyone was feeling a certain type of way about Kevin, but the sheriff's department was very careful with their words when talking to the media. Telling Inside Edition, there were a lot of people there at the party, and we've interviewed witnesses. We are still investigating, and we still need people to come forward and tell us any information they have, as small as it may be. She left under suspicious circumstances. Foul play is involved. That is why it went from missing persons to homicide. The main thing is trying to get people to cooperate and talk. There are still people who haven't given their statements yet which is wild. It had been more than a month and a half, and the guests of this mysterious party seemed to be kind of elusive. I researched this case up and down, and the one thing I've noticed is that no one seems to be going to bat for Kevin. Honestly, I haven't even seen anyone at all even come out saying they're friends with him, let alone that they were at that party. June continued on with no public developments in Taylor's case until something major happened. On June 11th, 2021, ABC 13 broke the news that Kevin had been arrested. He was taken into custody by the U.S. freaking marshals when he and another woman pulled into the parking lot of a shopping center. But it had nothing to do with Taylor's case. As it turns out, he was taken in for violating his bond and big violations at that. According to the outlet. This phantom menace had failed to show up for his bond supervision hearings in both April and May. On top of that, the Montgomery County police reporter wrote that during this apprehension, a pistol was on the seat next to him. This guy had dropped serious money on a $23,000 bond and then seemed to tip the scales on his not giving a single fuck meter. The following day, Kevin had a bond hearing, and it was at that hearing that the prosecutor shocked everyone. While arguing that Kevin should be denied bond, KHOU reports that they stated that he was suspected of murdering Taylor. I've said this before, and I'll probably never stop saying it, but the difference between person of interest and suspect is huge. That being said, I want to be clear that the sheriff's department has never come out and said that Kevin is a suspect. When ABC 13 followed up on the prosecutor's statement, they said, We rely on information that we receive. We file information with the court, and at the time that the motion was filed, that was the information we had. Regardless of whoever is naming him whatever, Kevin was officially denied Bond due to the concern for the safety of the community. With Kevin in jail, the searches for Taylor continued, but on June 19th, Tim Miller, who had always seemed unbreakable, was hospitalized. He told ABC 13 that he'd been having dizzy spells and figured it was from a previous surgery. He'd had two back surgeries, but it actually wound up being his heart. He told the station that his hospitalization caused him to fall into a deep depression, wondering if this would be the end of the line, if this was going to be the end of the legend that is Texas EquiSearch, which would frankly be a loss to the entire country. Tim Miller isn't just some guy who started a search and recovery team on a whim. He started it after his own daughter was abducted in 1984. She was found 17 months later in what many people know as the Killing Fields. According to Click2Houston, she was one of four victims found there between 1980 and 1990. Since the start of Texas EquiSearch, the FBI reports that they've conducted over 1,800 searches, located more than 400 missing persons, and as of February 2020, had recovered the remains of nearly 300 people. There was no way Tim Miller was going to let this be the end. Missing persons around the country needed him, and Taylor needed him. With that, ABC 13 reports that he had two procedures, was released from the hospital after seven days, and just two weeks later was back to searching. Searching for Taylor. June passed and July began, and on the 16th, Tim did an interview with ABC 7 and, like always, shed some new light on what was currently going on with Taylor's case. He said that he thinks they're looking at the right person responsible for Taylor's disappearance and that he thinks there are people who know what happened, but that they might be afraid to come forward due to repercussions that might come after the fact, a statement that I'm going to analyze until the end of time. It's no surprise that Tim said that the person of interest wasn't cooperating, that had never stopped him before, and it wasn't going to stop him then. He told the station that while time wasn't on their side, Taylor had been missing for three months at that point, they were going to do the best they could with what they had. They'd started their searches with the area around where she'd last been seen and fanned out. He told ABC7 that he doesn't think Taylor was taken too far away, adding that the stories regarding her disappearance aren't consistent whatsoever. For months, Tim Miller and his band of superheroes searched and searched and searched for Taylor. On July 7th, he told Click2Houston that, What I do know about the case is that Taylor is not alive at this point. None of us know what led him to make that statement, but I think there's a 148% chance that he knows information that the rest of us don't. I'd love to tell you that there was some major development in August or September or even October, but that's just not the case. In November of 2021, ABC 13 filmed a group of people in pink shirts in honor of Taylor's favorite color standing outside the courthouse holding up signs that read no bond for Kevin Ware. He was set to have a panel of three judges hear his appeal regarding his bond denial, and obviously they didn't want him set free, regardless of the fact that the charges he was in jail for were not in relation to Taylor's disappearance. I'd love to tell you what happened on November 23rd, but I couldn't find a single report on it. 23 days after that protest outside the courthouse, Fox 23 reports that detectives alongside Texas EquiSearch were searching and excavating an area north of Harris County when they found remains. Experts were called in who determined the remains were human. Click 2 Houston reported that the remains found during the search are believed to be related to Taylor's case. Just a side note here, I think that there's probably a a -a one-in-a-tilt-a-world chance that any law enforcement agency and search and recovery team are excavating any particular area by chance. It has been more than two months since those remains were found, but no public identification has been made. Taylor has an army of people rallying behind her and her family, all hoping that answers will come soon. In researching this case, the open question as to what happened with the panel review of Kevin's bond bothered me. So on Tuesday, March 1st, 2022, I called down to the jail he'd been booked into to see if he was still there and whether or not he had any pending court dates. Not only was he still in custody, but the jail told me that he was actually in court at that exact moment. I was told to call back later in the day to see what happened, so I did. I talked to a few people and no one seemed to know, so I waited for anything to be updated in the system, but when it wasn't, I decided to call down to the courthouse. When I talked to the courthouse, they had no record of him having had a court date on March 1st, but said that he did have one scheduled for the 22nd. According to them, it's marked as a plea acceptance hearing. This seems pretty self-explanatory, but it's a little out of left field since we hadn't heard anything in the media about a plea in the first place, so I reached out to my trusty friends over at the Prosecutor's Podcast, Brett and Alice, who said that a plea acceptance hearing means that a motion was filed to change a plea, but that it has to be done in open court. As we get closer to that court date and as any updates come in Taylor's case, I will be absolutely sure to update you. Due to the nature of this case, I wanted to touch on a few of the statistics surrounding domestic violence. According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner. One in three women have experienced some kind of physical violence by an intimate partner, and the presence of a gun in a domestic violence situation increases the risk of homicide by 500%. According to the Center for Relationship Abuse Awareness, 75% of domestic violence-related homicides occur upon separation. If you are experiencing any form of domestic violence, the hotline is available 24-7. You can call them at 1-800-799-SAFE, chat with a highly trained expert advocate at thehotline.org, and you can even text them by sending the text SAFE to 887-888. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Taylor's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley and join me there tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you like your podcast ad free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com or for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month, which is today. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.